Hi, this is Chris Foreman from Madness, and you're listening to the Stateside Madness podcast. Hi there, folks, out there. I'd like you to meet Tommy McGuire and his combo. Hello, and welcome to the Stateside Madness podcast, the one and only podcast of the official Madness American fan service. I'm Lori, along with my co-host Polly, here to bring you news, reviews, and deep dives into the nutty sound of the British pop band Madness. Hello and welcome back to the Stateside Madness podcast. This is Polly. And this is Lori. And this would be our 19th episode and we do have a very special one. Uh, Of course, we say that every time, but this week we really, really, really mean it. It is about the unfortunately late, but still nonetheless great Ian Dury. And we're going to have a lot to talk about, a lot of music and all things Ian. And I'm really looking forward to it. How about you, Lori? Oh, absolutely. I, I've been uh, doing a lot of research. I've learned a lot. Um, I mean, I knew who he was, but uh, I didn't really know a lot. So uh, this has been very informative for me, and I hope it's going to be as informative for our listeners. So, um, you know what? I'm excited. I finally got Tomo's book, hit the autographed copy of his book. So I'm going to start reading it tonight. I'm excited. I saw that you got that. So excited! He's got he signed it. Kicks kix. Our, our listeners who maybe might have missed some of our previous episodes, uh, Lee Thompson is my favorite member of the band. So, yes, and the book uh, Laurie's speaking out is uh, his new autobiography that he's out promoting right now, and hopefully some of our stateside madness fans were able to hook up with uh, Lee via Zoom. He's done a couple of Zoom dates lately talking about it. I was lucky enough to join up for one. Lori, did you do that? I did not. I'm sorry to say. How was it? Uh, it was a drinky, drinky time. Uh, we were, <laughs> yeah, so we were here, uh, of course, um, I took it in about two o'clock in the afternoon. I was behaving myself. Everybody at 7 p.m. in the UK, of which the vast majority of people were, where, boy, there was some tipping back of drinks and uh, a good time all around. But uh, I enjoyed it. It was really nice. Awesome. Hey, before we get too far, maybe we should do The Communicator. I think we should. I think we should. Right, Lori. So what's up first on The Communicator? Well, so we finally got some confirmation on those rescheduled uh, U.S. tour dates. Remember last episode, there was some question about the date of the Boston show. So the rescheduled USA tour dates and the English Beat announced on their Facebook page that they are going to be opening for just about all of these dates. So it's going to be the English Beat and Madness. So that's going to be really freaking cool. The Fox Theater in Oakland, California, May 26th and 27th, 2022. The Greek Theater in Los Angeles, May 28th, 2022. 
The Punk Rock Bowling Festival in Las Vegas, May 30th, 2022. Now the English beat is not on the bill for that one. House of Blues Boston is confirmed June 2nd, 2022. That's the one that there was some confusion as to the date. And Manhattan Center Hammerstein Ballroom, June 4th, 2022. So uh, we're really looking forward to that. And um, hopefully we'll meet some of our listeners at some of these shows, yeah? I do hope so. We'll be having uh, get-togethers, date, well, dates not to be determined, but locations to be determined and times uh, before the shows. Uh, and what we'll do is have uh, Stateside Madness folks there. We'll be handing out records and CDs, all sorts of free giveaways, and just a time for fans to get together um, somewhere close to the venue. It ought to be a good time. It'll be cool. I'm looking forward to it. All right, also on the communicator, the band has a, a live stream show coming up in a couple weeks, Friday, May 14th. It's called The Get Up. Apparently, it's a music and comedy show. It's a global live stream. And uh, you do have to pay for the privilege to stream the event. We have the details on the Stateside Madness Facebook page. Uh, it's $24, which seems to me money well spent. So I'm looking forward to that. I am as well. Um, we keep getting updates about it. Uh, of course, the band's always putting out little teasers. Um, it looks like it's going to be actually really, really cool. Hmm. And then speaking of teasers, so we have in the UK that Before We Was We three-part uh, documentary series that's premiering actually today, May 1st in the UK. Uh, episode one is going to be on YouTube, but we don't know about episode two or three or when this is going to be available in the US. Um, fingers crossed that it will be. Polly, you and I had an opportunity to watch that first episode in advance. Did you get a chance to watch it? I did. Um, I was very happy with it. And thank you to uh, Camp Madness for uh, sending that our way. Yeah, it was fantastic. I was a little bit leery because I watch a lot of rock documentaries and the budget and the production value can be all over the place so i was really scared this was going to be kind of skimpy and um and kind of look like crap but it was high production value very well organized a fantastic documentary yeah it was really well done i was really impressed with the uh, some of the stock video footage that they used and they interspersed in there it was very clever. And um, did you happen to notice that the band members were talking about Ian Dury and how much of an influence Ian was on them? In fact, I did. Yeah, that was great. Um, that alone, well worth uh, trying to tune in and watch that for everybody. So I would suggest um, looking into that. And Alex Harvey as well, who yeah. I really, really had to scratch my head and try to remember exactly who Alex Harvey was, but it did come back to me seeing a bit of the footage. I'd never heard of Alex Harvey before. So that whole thing was, was weird to me. So yeah, um, episode one, when that becomes available on YouTube, we'll definitely be sure to post the link for all of our Stateside Madness fans. But uh, fingers crossed that they'll let us view episodes two and three, because man, I want more. Moving on, man, this is a long communicator today. We got a lot of stuff. It is. As you and I were talking about before we started recording, our inboxes have been very busy this week. 
So uh, Peter from Sweden asks, is there in the future going to be album reviews of Seven and Rise and Fall, although they weren't released in the US? So the short answer is maybe. Uh, initially, we decided we were going to do the American albums only. However, our podcast, our rules, we can always go back later and say, now we're going to do the import albums. And I suspect we may do that, but it probably won't be until much later in the year. You know, we're going to occupy our time trying to have, um, you know, podcasts that aren't solely album review related. And, um, you know, fingers crossed, a lot of these albums are being re-released. Um, a lot of times in conjunction with record store day drops and things like that. So we're also holding out for, you know, finding out that these are going to be re-released, -re in which case you could argue that that would apply to then finally having been released in the U.S. market. So uh, we, um, we may try to do it in timing with, with those, so... Yeah, that's a good idea. And one final thing on the communicator, uh, we wanted to say hello and thank you again to Nick Woodgate, who many of you may remember had been on the podcast not too long ago. Uh, well, Nick uh, does seem to burn the candle at both ends and he is putting out an insane amount of music. Um, and he's always kind enough to let Lori and I get sneak peeks of it. And um, he's always sending copies our way. And I would like to thank him for that. He's doing fantastic work. Um, he's on Amazing Radio, if you want to check that out, among other platforms. And uh, he's just doing fantastic stuff. And our friend Lori was lucky enough to have a song dedicated to her. Got to admit it, I'm a little jealous. But... Um, Nick doesn't appear to be writing songs about uh, fat middle-aged guys. So what can I say? <laughs> yeah, I was, I was really, really touched uh, when I heard, heard the song, Lori. That was, that was really sweet. So yeah, Nick, we love you. Thank you for all that you're doing. And um, just so everybody knows, his next single release, Zombie, May 7th. So be on the lookout for that. That's going to be on Spotify. What time is it? Showtime! We want Freddy for a leader. Freddy is a man of class. We want Freddy for a leader. Oh, stand, stand and raise your champagne glass. Gentlemen and assassins and ladies of the night, I call upon you this evening in the hope of shedding some light. I can't go into detail or finger unfounded fools, but there are some here amongst us that are not playing to the rules. I've rounded up the lowlife and local CID, offered a free massage, or else the third degree. There is no simple solution in this life we lead, so make things easy for yourself to the baronage concede. We want Freddy for our leader. Freddy is a man of class. We want Freddy for our 
All right. So that was Drip Fed Fred from the 1999 Madness album, Wonderful, with Ian Dury on vocals. Now, sadly, we're not planning to do an episode on Wonderful because this album was not released in the USA. Though we might sometime. Uh, but Lori, I'd like to say I'm on every podcast and they're all wonderful. That they are. <laughs> But we thought that would be a good introduction to Ian Dury. Uh, Ian's 79th birthday would have been May 12th, so coming up very soon. And I got to say, all of a sudden, I feel like Ian is stalking me. Now, not like in the haunting kind of sense, but Polly, the other night I was done with my, my work for the day. I wanted to just chill out. I was watching the classic albums documentary series. Yep. And um, and I was watching so Steely Dan Asia, which is one of my top five albums of all time. Absolutely love it. And so I'm watching this documentary and then who's on my screen but Ian Dury. They're interviewing Ian Dury about Steely Dan and about Asia. It's like all of a sudden he's everywhere. It's it, it just it, this is how things go in my life. When I'm focused on something, all of a sudden the, the something appears everywhere. And it seems like Ian is just suddenly appearing everywhere. So speaking of media appearances, uh, his life was a subject of the 2010 biopic, Sex and Drugs and Rock and Roll. And uh, in that movie, Ian was depicted by character actor Andy Serkis. He's the same guy that played Gollum in the Lord of the Rings series. He's really phenomenal. He really disappears into this role. The movie was an official selection of the 2010 Tribeca Film Festival. And it is available on Amazon Prime Video uh, as a streaming selection. So if you have Amazon Prime Video, at least in the United States, you owe it to yourself to check it out. Yeah, I would definitely suggest it. It is uh, one of the better uh, biopics for a rock musician and um, chronicling his life. Um, and Andy Serkis really couldn't get better casting there. He does uh, fantastic with, uh, with everything, but particularly when a role demands uh, sort of nuanced physicality, uh, which uh, Ian's certainly would. Um, uh, he just does fantastic at that stuff. And the two look a fair amount alike, which always adds something to it too. So Ian really never achieved a great deal of fame in the United States. Um, known over here, um, he did a little bit of charting but uh, he did a little bit better on US dance charts than he did on regular uh, AOR radio. Uh, he really didn't make the kind of splash over here that he did uh, across the pond. Yeah, I, I seem to have a recollection of the video for Hit Me With Your Rhythm Stick, um, having seen that as a young man. And I probably that's because um, we received videotapes from friends in Boston of very early MTV, but uh, something's making me think I saw that very, very early on. You know, I don't remember it at all on MTV. And as a kid, I was pretty much glued to MTV 24 seven. When I wasn't at school, I was watching MTV. I don't remember it at all, but that, I mean, it could have slipped under my radar. All right, so Ian Dury was born May 12th, 1942 in Harrow, Middlesex, England. His mother, Peggy, was a health visitor. I had to look that up. I think it's something akin to visiting nurses that we have here in the USA. 
His father, William, was a chauffeur. In fact, uh, he's the subject of the Blockhead song, My Old Man, which we're going to hear later today. His parents separated when Ian was four, and he lived with his mom, Peggy, and her sister, Mary, in a small village in Essex. I think the big defining event in Ian's life uh, occurred at the age of seven. Ian contracted polio from a public swimming pool. And as a result, he spent a year and a half of his life in the hospital. And so this would have been late 40s. So the polio epidemic was, I mean, it was still, still going pretty strong. So he did survive, luckily, but uh, his illness resulted in the paralysis and withering of his left leg, shoulder, and arm. So it left him permanently disabled. You know, to his credit, he, he never let that um, hold him back. We'll talk about that a little bit more. But in live uh, concert footage, um, you know, he's known to perform in, in just a, a, a tank top often. And it's, it's quite visible, quite, quite obvious. And I think that's kind of a credit to his, um, his morality is that uh, he was never about to be uh, you know, hiding, hiding that aspect of his life. No, I mean, if you think about another famous person who had polio, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, and he famously never allowed himself to be photographed from the waist down because they, he didn't want Americans to know he was in a wheelchair. So this is like very different, right? In contrast to Ian, who made no apologies, right? This is who I am, right? right? So because of his disability at age nine, Ian was sent to live at the Chaley Heritage Craft School for Disabled Children. The philosophy of the school was that children had to learn to help themselves since no one will do it for them. This is depicted in that movie, Sex and Drugs and Rock and Roll. Toby Jones played Hargreaves, who was the abusive headmaster of the school. And you can really see reenacted some of the horrors that the children went through at the school. The experience did toughen Ian up though. He did say in an interview, Chaley made me strong physically and mentally. And he said that later in 1999. There was some sexual abuse and that's referenced in the lyrics to, Hey, Hey, Take Me Away. So speaking of, Hey, Hey, Take Me Away, let's listen to that a little bit. What's all the spunk on the duck boards? Come on Lawrence, come on Lawrence. Let's go out and have a prayer meeting. Take a charge of the man with the shotgun. Hey, come on, Lawrence. It's time we escape to get my son. So uh, Ian left Chaley at the age of 16 to study painting at Walthamstow College of Art. And about 1964, then he moved to study art at the Royal College of Art. And by all accounts, he was, um, while he was in college, he was not shy so much. Um, had a reputation for being a bit of a ladies' man. And a female classmate of his recalled, yeah, he was very upfront and salacious. Great adjective for you there. 
he was a very sexual kind of guy. Uh, and, you know, he had a very direct, blunt way of talking, particularly about sex, which, if you can imagine, then in the very late 60s is, uh, you know, probably not the norm. Um, but nonetheless, that was his personality. He did study under Peter Blake, a prominent pop artist. Yeah, so he was uh, the artist that did the cover for Sgt. Pepper's. And I believe he also did the cover for the Madness album, Wee Wee CC Ja Ja Da Da, didn't he? Uh, that I actually didn't know, but uh, it wouldn't surprise me. It's sort of in the vein of a lot of stuff he's done. The Blockhead song, Peter the Painter, is in fact about Peter Blake. Got the toughest brush with the sweetest strokes And the Royal Academy of Jack the Ladderman Mr Blake is the actual bloke And the Royal College of Useful Knowledge He plays his part without complaint And the Royal Society for Insobriety Gets his pencils and his paint From the Royal Commission for Intuition It's not a fake, it's a Peter Blake It's navy blue, it's crimson lake It takes the cake no mistake, for goodness sake, take a look at those blakes. Starting in 1967, Ian taught art at various colleges in the south of England. He also painted commercial illustrations for the Sunday Times in the early 1970s. So he had a little bit of a reputation as a um, commercial artist. Many of his art pieces were focused on pinup models as a subject. So. He kind of took that whole pop art movement and combined it with his love of like 1950s style pinups. And uh, he had a very magnetic personality and a very blunt way of communicating, which seemed to keep other people off balance. So, so far as Ian's um, musical influences, at least early on, or the formative uh, genres that he was into, um, prominent one being skiffle. Now, uh, in America, we don't know or don't refer to Skiffle a lot, but um, if you watch interviews with uh, Ronnie Wood from the Rolling Stones, um, Peter and David, a whole host of people, everybody talks about Skiffle and Lonnie Donegan who popularized it. Now, Skiffle is kind of like a blend of American jazz folk, uh, kind of rootsy blues, and it's also not rock instrumentation. It's acoustic and homemade instruments, uh, washboards and kazoos. Um, and so uh, Ian, around 1961, late teens, so just you know, prior to art school, but he had joined a skiffle band with some of his friends. He played a tea chest. I got to tell you, I'm not familiar with what that is. Let me show you a picture. Okay. Oh, this is good. This is good for podcast <laughs> these things yeah well how the hell do you play that now how the hell do you play a washboard i don't know well yeah well yeah but i mean you slam the top on it um <laughs> I, or drumsticks <laughs> or something i don't know i don't know <laughs> yeah um all right so uh and, and and a part of it was the folksy folksy aspect was you know a lot of whoops and hollers and noise and noises and uh, you know, to sort of punctuate the music. Um, and it's said that actually that annoyed the shit out of his bandmates. But uh, nonetheless, that's his style. 
and it, it, it maintained as being his style. Uh, he does a lot of that stuff. You know, th- speaking of like the, the instruments for Skiffle, the slide whistle, and that's something that I associate very heavily with, with Ian Dury. There's a number of his songs where he uses a slide whistle. And uh, Madness did that in a couple songs too. So you can kind of see a straight path, I think, from Ian Dury to, to Madness. And I just like the slide whistle. We're now talking early 60s, right? And in the 60s, jazz became more popular. And while Ian was uh, teaching, he co-founded a jazz club at the college. He attended many live jazz shows with his friends. And also around this time, he and his former Royal College of Art classmate, Betty Rathmel met. They married in 1967 and they'd have two children together. Jemima, who was born in 1969 and Baxter, who was born in 1971. And that brings us to probably where most Madness fans uh, kind of start their journey with Ian. Um, That would be Kilburn and the High Roads. You know, with that magnetic personality he had, um, he drew, you know, many, many like-minded folks uh, around him. And by 1970, uh, he and his group of friends started Kilburn and the High Roads. So Ian Dirty would have been uh, the vocalist and lyricist, Russell Hardy on piano. Ed Spate on guitar, uh, later replaced by Nick Cash, Charlie Hart on bass, and then later replaced by Humphrey Ocean, George Kahn on saxophone, later replaced by Davy Payne, and Chris Lucas on drums. Now, Chris would be replaced by Terry Day and later replaced by David Newton Rahoman. David being uh, the guy that you see in a lot of the pictures, um, a drummer who uh, use crutches. Yeah, as you see pictures of the group, quite quite obvious who he is. That's a really cool name for the band, Kilburn and the High Road. So that was named after Kilburn High Road in London, right? Uh, that it was, yeah. So uh, the band uh, performed uh, for the first time in 1971, and they were regulars on the pub rock scene by 1973. Now, I actually had to look up pub rock but uh, I guess you could say it had a brief period where it was its own uh, genre of music. You know, a lot of times when you hear a reference to pub rock, particularly in the 70s, a lot of times they're talking about bands that would play covers of other, uh, other songs, um, right. yeah. like, like radio top 40 type stuff. So a lot of times when we hear about pub rock, it's really like, like a covers band. You know, you, you, the guys are, you, you're going down to the pub on a Friday night, you're gonna get drunk and you wanna listen to songs that you know. And that, I think that's usually how people define pub rock. And, you know, Kilburn and the High Roads, you know, did eventually develop their own singular style. But leading up to that, uh, Ian's performances drew comparisons to uh, rockabilly icon Gene Vincent. Yeah, one thing that they had in common, I think, uh, Gene Vincent had uh, a bit of a limp, didn't he? From uh, a car accident, I think. Uh, yeah, I believe you're right. Uh... Considering you're working off my notes, I better be. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so Kilburn and the High Roads, they started to get quite a local following, including a group of young men from Camden Town who will be familiar to our listeners. Chris Foreman and Lee Thompson were both fans of the Kilburns. And there's a story, I think we might've shared this in a previous episode. So the first time he saw the Kilburns, Lee, who was underage, 
snuck in through the men's bathroom window at a venue called the Tally Ho. Somehow, as he's going through the window, he gets snagged on some hooks and he's hanging upside down in the men's room. And a man comes in and, and Lee hears this kind of clanking of, I don't know if it was his leg brace or a crutch or whatever he was using. And the man goes, Oi, what are you doing in here? And Lee said, Well, I've come to see the band that's playing. And the man said, well, you won't see them in here, will you? And helped him down. Lee, Lee then realized during the show, the same man comes out on the stage and he's the lead singer. It's Ian Dury. So that was his first encounter with, I guess, his hero. Uh, it, that it was. And he retells, uh, or they, rather, they retell similar stories in Before We Was We. Barson had actually said the Kilburns were just all mad. Um, and they opened for The Who on the Quadrophenia tour uh, in late 1973. Um, they were signed to the label Dawn, um, which was a subsidiary of Pi Records, uh, about 1974, released Handsome in 1975. And of course, that's the album I think we all would all know them from. Uh, the first single off of Handsome was Rough Kids, and the second would be Crippled with Nerves. And the title phrase has a double meaning, kind of. Ian was indeed crippled uh, by his nerves. Uh, so why don't we actually take a listen to that? I could touch her. I could tell her. I'm a very lucky fella. I'd cancel all proper reserve. But my hope is all gone Got the fears coming on And I'll die As I'm crippled with nerves So um, right after Hanson was released, the band disbanded. There was actually a second album, What a Bunch, which included many of the same tracks as Hanson, uh, released in 77 by Warner Brothers, because it, uh, shortly prior to that, Ian had put out uh, Sex and Drugs and Rock and Roll, which became quite popular, and uh, Warner Brothers wanted to cash in on that a little bit. Ian is widely credited with coining that phrase, sex and drugs and rock and roll. Although I think that there's some evidence that the phrase was in use prior to that. That's the, the legend that he's the one that coined that term. So speaking of sex and drugs and rock and roll, that song was released as a Stiff Records single with Razzle in My Pocket as the B-side on August 26, 1977. And the song was subsequently banned by the BBC. Um, officially, the song Sex and Drugs and Rock and Roll was released as a solo track. However, three members of the band that would later go on to become the Blockheads, they actually appeared on the single. So we had the song's co-writer and guitarist, Chaz Jankel, Norman Watt Roy on bass, and drummer Charlie Charles. And the single did not chart and was deleted from the Stiff Records catalog after two months. So if anybody happens to have that original Stiff Records single, 
probably worth pretty penny. So also on Stiff Records in 1977, Ian released his solo album, New Boots and Panties. And it was uh, released in 1978 in the U.S. And Sex and Drugs and Rock and Roll appeared on it as an additional track, which is fantastic. It's great that we get extra stuff here in the United States. So much of it was written with uh, pianist and guitarist Chaz Jankel, who we just spoke of. A few were written with an American writer, Steve Nugent. So interestingly enough, the the songs on the album that he co-wrote with Steve Nugent sound more British than the songs that he co-wrote with Chaz Jankel, being Chaz Jankel being British, right? It's weird. Chaz Jankel, though, would really go on to become Ian's longtime collaboration partner. I'm trying to think of some other songwriting partnerships that would be up there with that. Thinking like uh, Michael Hutchinson and Andrew Ferris of In Excess. Who's the guy that collaborates with Elton John? Writes all the songs with Elton John. So Bernie Taupin? Yes. The same kind of a relationship where I think these two really, it was a very uh, symbiotic relationship. And I think um, Ian's lyrics, which are, 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 let's be honest, they're poetry. They're, they're not really song lyrics in the traditional sense. I think Ian, I think he would have been, maybe if he'd been born 10 years earlier, he might've been a beat poet. And then Chaz being the more musically inclined of the two then had the, the task of setting these lyrics to music, which was sometimes challenging. But um, I would argue that that was a very, very strong uh, partnership. And I think that they came up with some real classic, classic songs together. Now the title comes from Ian's habit of shopping in resale shops. And he had always said, the only thing I won't buy used are boots and panties. So for him, um, it was always going to have to be new boots and panties. Uh, the photograph of the album's cover was taken by Chris Gabrin outside Oxford's lingerie shop in Westminster. And it features Ian and his son Baxter. Now, the album never charted in the United States, but um, it is regarded as Ian's best. And why don't we hear the song from it, Baylor K. Dickey. Good evening. I'm from Essex, in case you couldn't tell. My given name is Dickey. I come from Baylor and I'm doing very well. It's a love affair with Nina. In the back of my Cortina, a seasoned up hyena could not have been more obscene. She took me to the cleaners and other misdemeanors, but I got right up between her, rum and her Ibiza. Well, you asked Joyce and Vicky if candy floss is sticky. So now let's talk about Ian Dury and the Blockheads. So the Blockheads was Ian's second band. Although New Boots and Panties was technically a solo album, most of the Blockheads played on the album. So we had Chaz Jankel on keyboards, guitars, and he was responsible for the musical direction. John Turnbull on guitar, Norman Watroy on bass, Mick Gallagher on keyboards, Charlie Charles on drums, 
and Davy Payne on saxophone, who was a, a holdover, I guess, from Kilburn and the High Roads. So the band chose their name after one of Ian's songs called Blockheads. In 1977, Stiff Records organized a tour for their five biggest acts at the time. Nick Lowe, Ian Dury, Reckless Eric, Larry Wallace, and Elvis Costello. And Elvis Costello was the one act at the time that had had some chart success. So what Stiff had intended was to have a rotating headliner, right? So the bands would alternate different nights as the headline act. However, Ian and the newly formed Blockheads soon became the stars of the tour. And the nightly encore for everybody on the tour became Sex and Drugs and Rock and Roll, much to Elvis Costello's dismay. As a matter of fact, if you're um, an Amazon Prime Video subscriber in the US, take a look at If It Ain't Stiff, It Ain't Worth a F, which is available for free. You can actually see the, the performances. And you can see Ian and he actually kind of looks a little bit like a deranged mime. But um, you can really see, especially in the sex and drugs and rock and roll, when all of the acts are getting up and singing and you can see that the audience is really getting into it. But you can also see that Elvis Costello really does not want to be there. He really is not happy about that development. That's very obvious. So Ian Dury in his time was very controversial. He didn't shy away from writing about his disability. So some of the songs that we've heard, like Crippled with Nerves, for example. Uh, there was another song, Dance of the Screamers, with the lyrics, some of us are ugly angel, some of us are only small, some of us are useless sailor, they haven't got the wherewithal. And as we mentioned, Hey, Hey, Take Me Away was about his experiences at the Chaley Heritage Craft School. Ian's manager, Peter Jenner, sense that his disability was a significant turnoff for the major record companies. As a matter of fact, Dury's decision to appear in the video for the chart-topping single, Hit Me With Your Rhythm Stick, in 1979, without a jacket and displaying his withered arm, sparked a bit of a panic at Stiff Records. And so that leads us to 1981. 1981, the United Nations had declared the International Year of the Disabled Person. And Ian found this completely insulting, patronizing. So he recorded a single, this was without the blockheads, but with some leading reggae musicians, Sly Dunbar and Robbie Shakespeare. The single he recorded was called Spasticus Autisticus. Now this was his first single on Polydor Records. 
And as you might imagine from the title, it really met with an uproar. It was banned by the BBC. It was protested against by a major organization for people with cerebral palsy, known as the Spastics Society, an unfortunate name. It really, as I think you mentioned earlier, it, it, it really got a lot of attention. I'm Spasticus, I'm Spasticus, I'm Spasticus, Autisticus, I'm Spasticus, I'm Spasticus, I'm Spasticus, Autisticus, I'm Spasticus, I'm Spasticus, I'm Spasticus, Autisticus, I whittle when I fiddle, cause my middle is a riddle. I'm Spasticus, I'm Spasticus, I'm Spasticus, Autisticus, I'm Spasticus, I'm Spasticus, I'm Spasticus, Autisticus, I'm Spasticus, I'm Spasticus, I'm Spasticus, what he's doing here. I mean, I can understand why this might have been controversial, but it is the right of any group of people to decide what they're going to call themselves. And some words over time, I think, have become insulting and derogatory. And then the people who those words describe sometimes make an effort to take them back. Some examples of this, you know, we see the use of the N word and we see members of the hip hop community reclaiming that word for their own and using it in their songs and, and depriving it of its power, right? It's negativity. We see the same thing uh, in the gay community that there are some gay slurs that, uh, that the gay community has, again, tried to reclaim and tried to take back. And I feel that that might've been some of Ian's motivation here with this idea of, you know, spasticus autisticus. Again, taking something that would have been insulting and turning it on its head and claiming it, you know, and, and, and holding it up into the light. And yeah, it made people uncomfortable. And I think that that was the idea. Um, spasticus obviously being related to Spartacus, the, um, the gladiator fighter, right, rebel, in, in the movie Spartacus. And that's kind of, I think, maybe how he pictured himself. He, he really pushed the envelope. And he, I think he, he did make people uncomfortable and, and it might've been a little bit by design. Um, a lot of his songs, besides being about his disability, a lot of them were about sex. And I think that the idea of uh, someone with a disability being a sexual being I think that also makes people uncomfortable. I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. I mean, I have a, a, a former student who was disabled and she was really very much an advocate uh, for disabled people being able to enjoy sex and being able to make their own decisions about their body. And in the late 70s, early 80s, I think that this, uh, 
this was really, I mean, it still is a little bit of an uncomfortable subject, right? But I mean, he really forced it out into the open. And I have nothing but respect for the man for doing that. Uh, no, I, I, I totally agree with that statement. And um, I, I could definitely see where he was coming uh, from with that, in particularly in reaction to the United Nations Declaration of 1981 as being the uh, year of the disabled persons. I take a very, very uh, skeptical view of people, I wouldn't say monetizing or um, propagandizing, but I guess uh, people branding certain afflictions. And I can appreciate that uh, a person who's the subject of that does, like you said, want to claim their agency in all of that. And truth be told, I'm a type of person who I, I sometimes I think I, I feel or suffer a little bit from charity or cause sort of fatigue. And you, uh, I t have a tendency to question the intent of a lot of, of things like that. Um, and and I, I think he, he spoke to that as well. And so definitely his attempt at doing the song really resonates with me. So uh, Ian also, uh, being the Renaissance man that he was, uh, did not stick to just one thing or just two things like art and music. Um, so he was also an actor and um, he had small parts in quite a few films. Uh, some no notable ones were Roman Polanski's Pirates in 1986, uh, Judge Dredd with Sylvester Sloan in 1995, and uh, The Crow City of Angels in 1996. Um, he also co-wrote with uh, the Blockheads Mick Gallagher, um, and he starred in a play called Apples. Uh, that would have been in 1989. Um, only lasted 10 weeks at the Royal Court Theater in London, and the reviews, not, not, not so awesome. However, uh, the song Apples we're going to take a listen to in a second. We'd like to acknowledge our friend, Donald Trull, um, who tends our website, blog, does all sorts of work on our behalf. He is a big fan of this song, and let's take a listen to it now. from Soho was making her way down the lane Simpson from Harrow had fruit on his barrow he sold it for love and for gain Simpson said hello young woman my pippins are lovely today don't be suspicious of golden delicious whatever your granny might say they're only apples, red and green. Apples, lovely, ripe and juicy, and especially for you. Right off the power, the old coast power.
So sadly, Ian was diagnosed with colorectal cancer in 1996. And despite some surgeries, the cancer spread to his liver. So when Ian learned he was terminally ill, he married his longtime girlfriend, Sophie Tilson, in 1998. Now, Ian and Betty had divorced in 1985, but they still remained on friendly terms. And Ian and Sophie had two children together, Bill, who was presumably named after Ian's father, William, and Albert. Sophie was a fellow alumna of the Royal College of Art. I believe she's a sculptor. Now, despite Ian's illness, he kept performing with the blockheads, although his condition was becoming frail. He underwent experimental gene therapy in hopes of a cure. And in 1998, Bob Geldof on, I think, on one of his television programs incorrectly reported that Ian had died. And any of our podcasts wouldn't be complete with talking a little bit about madness, or maybe in this case, a little bit more about madness. Uh, but Chris Foreman has said that Kilburn and the High Roads were the biggest influence on what had become madness uh, because they did all sorts of rock and roll. They did all sorts of reggae. Um, they did songs that were descriptive about London. Uh, Lee has cited uh, Davy Payne of Kilburns as one of his influences uh, stylistically for saxophone playing. Uh, Barson said in the book Before We Was We that Crippled With Nerves was one of the first songs that the North London Invaders learned to play. And of course, uh, the stacked walking cover of uh, One Step Beyond was inspired by the back cover of Kilburn and the High Roads album, Handsome. And I do believe we did mention that on one album before, or excuse me, one podcast before. It must have been the One Step Beyond. But yeah, that was one of their roadies. Actually. Yeah, Paul. Yeah. Paul hangs yeah. loose. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and, and, I, and I would say the back cover of um, Handsome is just as endearing as the front cover of One Step Beyond. And in 1999, of course, and we led off the episode with that, um, Ian guessed it on the Madness song, Drip Fed Fred. And uh, that came about after a chance meeting, uh, catching up with Lee in Holland. Um, that got the gears working and they ended up doing the song together. Uh, Madness would later host fundraiser for the Living With Cancer Appeal uh, for a charity that Ian supported called Cancer Backup. And uh, also in 1999, Ian and Chaz Jankel received the Classic Songwriter Award at the Q Awards. Suggs was the presenter and said that Ian was a songwriter who he had always tried to emulate. Another similarity that I really see uh, where Ian's influence came out is Ian was just unabashedly British in his pronunciation, his Cockney slang, his mention of locations. And you see the same in a lot of Madness songs where I think they're more British than most British bands, if that makes any sense. Yep. And sometimes I wonder if that might be part of the reason that they didn't catch on in America as, as much as they did in Britain is, you know, these, this British sound and these references to things that Americans might not get. Maybe. I don't disagree. And also, um, you know, uh, Kilburn and the High Roads and Ian were not just influential to Madness, uh, influential to all sorts of people, Jules Holland among them. 
And uh, there's very uh, lovely uh, part of the Jules Holland program where uh, Suggs performs uh, Sex and Drugs and Rock and Roll with the Blockheads and uh, among other things. And of course, Jules and uh, Suggs would go on to uh, write and perform a song on one of Jules' albums, uh, Oranges and Lemons, which was about Ian. And I would suggest anybody going to onto YouTube to find either of those things. Uh, they're both fantastic. In our Suggs episode, I think we played a little bit of that particular song. It was a that was one of my choices. That was a good song. And another thing worth noting too is uh, Ian also played at the first Madstock, 1992. True. So. Let's listen to a Madness cover of one of Ian's songs. So this is Madness performing My Old Man. My old man wore three piece whistles. He was never hung for long. Drove a bus for London transport. He knew where he belonged. Number 18 down to Houston. Double decker, move along. Double decker, move along. Later on he drove a roller, chauffeuring for foreign men. Dropped his H's on occasion, circle climbing now and then. Did the crossword in the standard, at the airport in the rain. At the airport in the rain, my old man. So Ian Dury and the Blockheads' last performance was a charity concert in aid of cancer backup on February 6th. 2000 at the London Palladium, supported by Christy McCall and Phil Jupitus. Is that how you say that name? Jupitus. Jupitus. Okay. Ian Dury died of cancer on March 27th, 2000. He never wanted to be pitied. He said, quote, I'm not here to be remembered. I'm here to be alive. He influenced many other musicians besides Madness and Jules Holland, as you mentioned, including The Clash. The Sex Pistols, supposedly he said that Johnny Rotten stole his moves. <laughs> and, uh, and even believe it or not, Sir Paul McCartney. Now, one of our listeners, Jeff, shared with me this song, which I had not heard before. So there's an entire album. It's a, an Ian Dury tribute album. It's called Brand New Boots and Panties. And it's got some very interesting performances. That Madness, My Old Man that we just heard, that was one of them. Sinead O'Connor did a cover, which was really good. But this one in particular, this is Sir Paul McCartney covering Ian Dury's song, I'm Partial to Your Abracadabra. And I'm sorry, Paul McCartney is rock and roll royalty. And if he is singing Ian Dury's songs, then I think that just cinches the argument that Ian Dury was so influential on British music. So let's listen to Sir Paul.
that leads us to our top five. Polly, you and I, as, as we often do with our Madness Band member episodes, we picked our top five songs by Ian Dury, either with Kilburn and the High Roads, Ian Dury and the Blockheads, or his solo work. So I'd like to start us off with my number five pick. There ain't half been some clever bastards. This is Ian Dury and the Blockheads. As a writer, he was Brahma. Velvet jackets and pajamas. The guy, divorce and other dramas. There have been some clever bastards. There have been some clever bastards. So, what do you think of that one, Polly? Uh, well, I like it. Uh, I'll say that about all 10 selections we do for our both of our top fives. This is him kind of lyrically at his best. He does really, really well with uh, name dropping. And um, he does it a lot in this song. And I think it's just fantastic. Um, he brings together you know, Albert Einstein, Noel Coward. Uh, I know you love that lead in line to the Absolutely. song. Absolutely. Noel Coward was a charmer. Oh my gosh. A great opening line. And that, that whole song, I mean, it's, it's intelligent, right? It's intellectual. It's not, you know, it's not lowbrow, if that yeah, makes I, any sense. No, no, I love it. And, and he does some very, very clever things where he breaks away from the meter in the middle of the song to say, okie dokie, it's like you're you're kind of wishing that there was lyrics happening there. He says, "Okie dokie, long pause, Segovia," uh, of course, uh, referring to Andre Segovia, um, and uh, yeah, just super clever. And when Ian does clever, it is very clever. Uh, so my number five was the Ballad of the Sulfate Strangler, and why don't we take a listen? Boy was born to Jack and Marge in 1951. And what is love? Is love is love. And what is done is done. The baby grew in size and rage beyond his normal years. And when there's blood on every page, the diary ends in tears. I just, I think it's uh, that it's fantastic storytelling right there in a song which is also something it did really, really well. And it's uh, biographical, you could say somewhat autobiographical, at least in terms of them talking about 
uh, these events happening on a tour. So not the song's not about Ian, but it's about uh, a crazy roadie they had. And I'm seeing that you put down here that that could potentially be about Peter Rush. Um, I'm not super certain, but um, it ought to be easy, easy to figure out. Well, so Peter Rush was not only was, was he a roadie, right? He, he, he was known for very heavy drug use. Uh, he toured with, you know, I want to say it was Led Zeppelin. I could be mistaken there. And so Ian meets this guy, you know, just absolutely completely bonkers and, you know, major, major drug user. And so what does he do? He hires the guy to be his babysitter. So he ended up being Baxter's kind of caregiver, which is just so completely off the wall. <laughs> um, I, I'm pretty sure that that's who the sulfate strangler is. So Lori, uh, what's your number four? Sex and drugs and rock and roll, baby. Sex and drugs and rock and roll Is all my brain and body need Sex and drugs and rock and roll It's very good indeed Keep your silly ways Or throw them out the window The wisdom of your ways I've been there and I know Lots of other ways if all you ever do is business you don't like. All right, Polly, tell us what you think of sex and drugs and rock and roll. Well, I like it a lot, Lori. Yeah, it's always, always a showstopper. Um, he's got many, many live videos, many concert videos out there. Uh, it's crowd favorite. What's not to love about the song? You know, I think it's an interesting song, too. I mean, because number one, it really kind of showcases his songwriting talent as, as a lyricist. But I think it also kind of reveals his limitations a little bit as a singer in, in the the parts where he's singing and not doing spoken word. He, he doesn't have the, the greatest singing voice in the world, but that's totally OK. That's totally fine. It totally works. So as you mentioned, I mean, this is really kind of an iconic song. It's one of the songs that, you know, if you mention Ian Dury, most people that would be the one that comes to mind if they know who Ian Dury is. You picked a less famous one for your number four, didn't you, Polly? I did. Um, I picked Billy Bentley promenades himself in London. There's a little London song. All about a young man's adventures in a big city. Billy Bailey's a ghost in every place. 
So of course that was uh, from the Kilburn and High Roads album, Handsome. I really do like the song, if for no other reason, I got a bunch of reasons, but if for no other reason, uh, there's just so many similarities there to the Liberty Norton Fulgate. Um, it's name uh, dropping different parts of London. Some of the same parts of London listed in Norm, uh, Norton Fulgate. And um, much like Norton Fulgate, there is a key change and tempo change right in the middle there. Um, a nice transition where it goes from the regular format of the song to something that's got a little bit more of an ethnic feel to it. I mean, the similarities are there. The boys must have got the idea for Norton Fulgate somewhere. And I would argue it must be Billy Bentley. I got nothing to add to that. I, I'd never heard this one before until you put it on your list. I, I'd never heard it. But yeah, I can't add much to what you've just said. So maybe I'll talk about my number three then. How's that? Go right ahead. All right. So the song I picked is one of the songs that Madness did in their early days as the North London Invaders. Um, as a matter of fact, if you happen to see the Madness uh, biopic, Madness Take It or Leave It, there's actually a scene where they're playing the song. It's called Rough Kids. Rough kids play rough games and kick tin cans. Leave their feet out in the eye. Rough kids have father and make nuisance. So Polly, you remember the scene in in, uh, in in Madness Take It or Leave It and, and Lee gets pissed off at the drummer and leaps over the drum kit and starts wailing on him? I do remember that. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. But more than that, I, I really, I appreciate the, the uh, it's really the instrumentation for me on this. You know, we've got uh, the sax that stands out very, very um, prominently. And then it kind of segues into this guitar, you know, I mean, it, but uh, what do you think of it? Well, I mean, his, his affection for Gene Vincent's right on display there. That's definitely a sixties style. Uh, yeah. Rockabilly bordering on uh, maybe smidgen of boogie woogie ish something there, uh, but really just, you know, sixties rock. Yeah. Um, yeah. So no, no wonder uh, he would have a song something like that in his repertoire. Good name for a band, wouldn't it? Rough Kids? Not only wouldn't it be a good name for a band, I would argue there's probably already a band named Rough Kids out there somewhere. Damn. Okay. <laughs> All right. So what was your what was your number three pick then, Polly? Uh, so my number three was Dance Little Rude Boy. Um, and this would have been a, a Blockhead song.
Dragons and your nifty dreads and the Dagenham Royal Swagger. With your tricky spews and your Cuban heels and the face of a carpet beggar. With your sweet cologne and your mobile phone and the moves of a desperado. You will cut a swede and your gangsters leave and an overdose of bravado. We see a double hip to the trippy tip and you're searching every quarter. You can throw more shapes than a jackanapes for someone's lovely daughter. So dance, little rude boy, dance. Dance, little rude boy, dance. Dance, little rude boy, dance. You've got to know something. So, Lori, what is your thoughts uh, on Dance Little Rude Boy? Boy, you know, I don't know. Um, I know this is one of his later songs. This was, uh, I don't even, this might have even been released posthumously. Tell us why you chose it. Um, well, uh, right off the bat, like thematically, it's something I would have been interested in. Um, although I'm not quite certain he's referring specifically to Rude Boy in terms of uh, ska sense or anything like that. But um, no, I, I, I like it. Uh, it's a bouncy, um, you know, I like when Ian does funk and it's definitely got that aspect going to it. But then uh, much like I spoke of with, um, with uh, uh, Billy, uh, it does have a nice little break and change of tempo in there where it goes into a sort of sultry, uh, smooth jazz, you know, reminiscent of Steely Dan or Boz Skaggs or something like that with that uh, sax solo in there. And so, yeah, uh, it, even I'd even say it sounds like the theme of the love boat or something. Uh, but uh, yeah, so, you know, it's, it's, it's what he's really good at. Uh, that lyrical poetry, um, the, the musicality of it, you know, I mean, it's, it's got it all. So Lori, what's your number two? Hit me with your rhythm stick. No, no, Lori, what's your number two? Hit me with your rhythm Ow! <laughs> of hit me with your rhythm stick well i mean i mean what's not to love this is this is the the song you could say that kind of made him i absolutely love it i just spoke about the on our on number threes my fondness for when ian does funk and uh i mean yeah i i, I love it a lot there's something really interesting too that i i didn't realize but 
the uh, Davy Payne's saxophone solo, he's actually playing two saxophones at once. And if you Google it, you find the video for it, you can actually see he's got two in his mouth and, and he's doing the fingering on both simultaneously. Wow, I didn't even think that was possible. And uh, as I was researching this episode, according to Warren Huart in Songs That Change Music, this song was actually about Ian's walking cane. Really? That's what he says. So what's your number two? So my number two would be that song, Spasticus Autisticus. As your number two, well, I, I thought it merited more more mentioning for one, but the the live version uh, is just phenomenal. You know, the, it's the it's the band at their peak, although the album version was uh, Ian working with Sly and Robbie. Uh, but no, I mean, I love it. I love the content. I love what he tried doing with the song. It plays really, really well live. Um, and in fact, in pre preparing for uh, the podcast, I took uh, took the studio album version out of my playlist and only listened to the live version. You know, I've mentioned that I do like Ian doing funk, but this is a lot closer to straight up rock and roll. It does have funk elements to it, but it's also uh, very reminiscent of Talking Heads style songs, but just with very, very uh, angry, over-the-top lyric delivery. All right, well, I got to play. This is my all-time favorite Ian Dury song. As a matter of fact, I was playing it uh, as like hold music for one of my Zoom classes the other day. And when I logged in, I could see on the video, a couple of my students were rocking out to it. Um, this is Reasons to be Cheerful, part three. Summer Buddy Holly, the working folly, the golly Miss Molly, and boats. Hammersmith Pally, the Bolshoi Bally, jump back in the alley, add nanny goats. 18 wheelers, camels, Dominica camels, all other mammals plus equal boats. Seeing Piccadilly, Fanny Smith and Willie, being rather silly, and porridge oats. A bit of grin and bear it, a bit of come and share it. You're welcome, we can spare it. Yellow socks, too short to be haughty, too nutty to be naughty. Going on 40, no electric shots. The juice of the carrot, the smile of the parrot, a little drop of claret, anything that works. Elvis and Scotty, days when I spotty, sitting on the potty, curing smallpox, reasons to be cheerful. 
Reasons to be cheerful. Part three. Reasons to be cheerful. Part three. Reasons to be cheerful. One, two, three. All right, so before I go on and on about why I love that song, Polly, what are your thoughts? Well, one is that parents actually don't smile. Um, that would be probably the big takeaway from that song. But uh, no, I love it. Uh, the name checking. I think we've already talked about that a couple of times. But this is, boy, this is the mother load of just dropping names in a song and checking, you know, like he says, of all uh, the things that there are reason to be cheerful about. I've never been that much of a fan of What a Wonderful World. I think it's saccharine and a silly song. Uh, this is that sort of theme done right. And I just couldn't, couldn't love it anymore. Probably my favorite line in that actually is um, he, him talking about Stephen Biko and Rico. And I'm gonna just say that must be Rico Rodriguez. I don't know, but um, Stephen Biko and Rico. There's so many things. Let me break down what I love about this song, okay? So number one, it's a list. He's making a list of all these things that make you happy or make him happy. And I love songs done in that style. We saw that uh, with Madness in Baggy Trousers. Suggs is doing the same kind of thing. He's giving a list. Naughty Boys in Nasty Schools. Headmasters Breaking All the Rules. So again, you can really see like the, the straight line from Ian Dury to Madness. I love the, 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 why don't you get back into bed? You know, it's got that kind of disco funk sound to it. I really dig that. But I think the thing that really stands out for me is I, I've heard this song classified as a proto rap. Now, I don't really like that word, but I get what they're trying to say. His instrument is his voice. And more than just about any anybody I can think of, Ian's vocal rhythm was so spot on. And um, it, it really comes out in this song where you can really kind of pick up on that where his voice is a rhythm instrument. Um, and there's a couple lines that I love too. I think my, my favorite line, you're welcome, we can spare it. And again, that's one of those things I hear it every time and I smile because you know that's one of those things that if somebody says that, you know, that means you're having a good day, that somebody's doing something good and helping you out. Um, one other thing worth noting about this is the saxophone solo. Now I didn't play it in, uh, in, in our segment just now, but that saxophone solo wasn't originally there. And Ian had some concerns, I guess Davey Payne had some financial difficulties. And so Ian asked Davey to add a saxophone solo so that he would get songwriting royalties so that he would get uh, some additional money, which I, very, very kind of him to do. I think I've, I, I've probably discussed that one to death, but I love it, love it, love it, love it. Um, how about you? What's your number one? Okay, uh, so I went again to the Blockheads and I picked I Want to Be Straight. I'm Charlie, you know. I'm Norman, pleased to meet you. I'm Nicky, hello. Wilco. 
I'm Johnny. How are you doing, Harry? Johnny. My name is Davy. And I'm Ian. And... Guess what? I, I want to be straight. I want to be straight. I'm sick and tired of taking drugs and staying up late. I want to confirm. I want to conform. I want to be safe and I want to be snug and I want to be warm. I want to be straight. I want to be straight. I want to create a place of my own in the welfare state. So it's worth noting there that this is not straight in the current vernacular where it's referring to someone's sexual orientation. It's straight as in straight edge, as in, you know, like uh, not doing drugs, right? Yeah, yeah. sober. Yeah. Um, so while the first thing to know, note about I want to be straight is that peculiar idea they had uh, for the guys to go around and introduce themselves in the opening of the song especially since it sounds like they had free reign to just uh, do it any way they wanted to, whether completely monotone and uninspired or very over the top campy. Uh, but, you know, you just don't see that in a lot of songs, but you do. Um, in Inanity Over Christmas, one of, uh, towards the end of the business uh box set but um yeah so madness does the same thing on an entity over christmas um and it's peculiar and it's awkward and i'm gonna just say in both circumstances a little cringy um so right there it's them being weird for weird sake uh i'm talking cringy. about i'm talking cringy. about oh i do not like an entity cringy over yeah You're cringy <laughs> Yeah, yeah, actually, that's, yeah, people have said that. Um, so, but anyways, well, I want to be straight. It's uh, also, thematically, it's really tongue-in-cheek, and I would even say a response or a pair or a sequel or something to Sex and Drugs and Rock and Roll. Um, but you can tell in I Want to Be Straight, this isn't really Ian having a change of heart late in life. Uh, this is pretty tongue-in-cheek, and he is being a bit facetious with it. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's, it's the exact opposite of what the words are saying. Oh, totally. Yeah. All right. Well, that concludes our episode on Ian Dury. And I hope that in listening to this, we've helped people to understand how much of an influence Ian Dury was on the band Madness and maybe even exposed his music to people who otherwise might not have heard it. I mean, like I said, I'd never heard of him until 2011 after he was already, you know, long gone. So um, that was really kind of my goal in putting this episode together. I don't know about you, Polly. Uh, yeah, no, I was more than happy to do an episode on Ian. Um, and yeah, I hope it does introduce a lot of our listeners to him. He's one of those rare cases where an English artist uh, is represented really pretty well on a lot of the music streaming platforms. So uh, anybody who wants could uh, quite easily go out there and start listening. It's uh, easy yeah. to do. Yeah. And, and as I mentioned too, if you have Amazon Prime Video in the United States, check out Sex and Drugs and Rock and Roll, the biopic with uh, Andy Serkis. 
And also, um, if it ain't stiff, it ain't worth an F, which is that documentary on um, the Stiff Records tour, which includes the other artists, uh, Nick Lowe, Elvis Costello, and so on. But it does include some really good footage of Ian Dury. All right, so as we wrap this episode up, so our next episode is going to be a deep dive into Universal Madness Alive in Los Angeles. So that was a 1999 release here in the U.S. And we debated a little bit about whether or not we were going to do this album, but I kind of pushed for it because it really is their only live album release in the USA. So I'm looking forward to that. I am as well. And, uh, it's not lost on our fans that, uh, you know, they're going to be back in Los Angeles. Good town for them. So, yeah, no, I'm looking forward to it. And so we're just about ready to go. Uh, but before we do, our last song is going to be Madness covering sex and drugs and rock and roll. And this is live at Butlin's Minehead in 2012 at one of the House of Fun Weekenders. Well, thank you very much for listening, everybody. Goodbye. And goodbye from me. Why don't you go get a beer and get back into bed, Stateside Madness. Six and jobs and rock and roll. It's all my brain and body need. Sex and drugs and rock and roll It's very good indeed Keep your silly ways Or throw them out the window The wisdom of your ways Well I've been there and I know Lots of other ways Oh what's a jolly bad show If all you ever do Is business you don't like and drugs and rock and roll <laughs> Sex and drugs and rock and roll Sex and drugs and rock and roll ah, It's very good Every bit of clothing ought to make you pretty You should cut the clothing Why you such a pity I should wear the clothing Mr. Walter Mitty See my tailor, he's called Simon I know it's going to fit Here's a little piece of advice You're quite welcome, it is free Don't do nothing that is cut price You know what they'll make you think They will try their cheeky devos Have you ripped in ordinary Get your teeth into a small size And take on liberty
If there are any uh, families here, in the words of those great philosophers, the Cuban brothers, I can't do the accent very well, but do on your little fucking arseholes. <laughs> 